Welcome to the Dear Educated Brothers podcast, a podcast about all things education through the experience of three black men in, in 2018. <laughs> My name is Mark. My name is Ed. My name is Gladstone. And a happy new year to all my folks out there. Happy new year, y'all. Happy new year, y'all. We hope y'all following through with your resolutions for the year. But we know y'all all talk. Yeah. <laughs> Prove and, me wrong. And in ushering the new year, we, we want to start um, this year off in our podcast with a new segment. And our new segment is called Margin of Blackness. Now follow me. Right? So we're intentionally, intentionally creating a space to share, unpack, and discuss our everyday experiences as black men. Right, and in order for us to be fully present in the conversation and conversations that we have here, right, we know that people of color have historically and systemically been pushed to the margins of society. So therefore, we're calling this segment margins of blackness. And within this segment, we're just really gonna come and talk about just our experiences as black men, because we know that in mainstream society, you know, the authentic experiences and realities of black men aren't really shared. And we understand that we do that within our podcast, but we're going to talk about things that happened like yesterday, two days ago, that don't necessarily necessarily align with the topic that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you know, I'm walking into this space and if I can't, if I'm focusing on some crazy thing that happened to me as I was walking in the building or, or um, you know, something that's weighing heavy on my mind, I know that I'm not able to genuinely engage in the conversation and give y'all my full presence because at the end of the day, that's why we're here. We're trying to give y'all our full presence and have y'all be a part of this conversation. Um, and so, I mean, Mark, I know that you were you were talking about having some experiences that you're trying to unpack. Yeah, and I'm, I think this whole, this whole segment definitely is about unpacking, and I want to open up by saying that, like, this past weekend, I was involved in a major, 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 major um, uh, car accident, mm-hmm. um, and I don't want to—I don't want to want to divulge, divulge, you know, all the details of it. But it was interesting because I was visiting my girlfriend's family in Hueytown, Alabama, mm-hmm. a predominantly white neighborhood. And after the accident, <laughs> aren't, aren't they all in that <laughs> Oh, shout out to Alabama, though. Okay, shout out to Alabama, though. For real? Um, I mean, you know, we showed up. You felt comfortable. In other ways, um, <laughs> but I must say, after the whole accident, um, as I, I kind of hopped out the car, because it was like basically totaled, um, I was a little worried, right, as a black man in Alabama and thinking about how it's going to be perceived. And immediately, white officers came, the, you know, um, everybody who stopped on the road was white. Mm. And the opposite actually happened. Uh, is that just a proportion thing, though? Because everybody in the town white. So by default, everybody got to stop. Everybody, everybody who stopped was white. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? But, right, exactly. So, but what? But the exact opposite kind of happened for me, like, where I thought I was going to be, like, you know, judged, um, kind of, like, labeled in a certain way. They treated me, like, as, um, like, I was their own family. Like, literally, mm. the accident happened. People pulled over, mm. made sure my girlfriend and I were actually safe. Mm. Um, this the, the, Out of nowhere, it was a fire truck uh, chief, but he was, like, off-duty. So he called his own station off the record to come get us checked out, mm. right? The police officer was, like, equally kind. I was like, man, like... Hey. White people showed out. The white people in that scenario, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, clarify. Yeah, yeah, but um, they showed up for me, and yeah. it really, it really, really like that life, that near death experience, mm-hmm. was like a paradigm shift for me. Um, it it kind of, it, it just kind of caused me to be more, 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 more reflective, yeah. you know. Um, and I just wanted to say that because like, I'm still feeling some after effects from that whole situation. But it was an interesting way to start the new year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I mean that's that's dope. I think it's important for us to reflect. It's dope that that happened. No, I think it's dope. <laughs> I, I think his his reflection is dope, and I think it's important for us to reflect. I mean, talking about this whole race thing, right? We we, we do you know we we're entrenched in this work mm-hmm. um, that is heavily that heavily revolves around race. But then you know when I talk about when I when I talk about my work and the pedagogy and white teachers and black teachers, people think like, oh, you, I mean, you hate white teachers. Like I don't hate anybody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just that. You know, unfortunately, a lot of people who are doing damage to kids in, in our schools are, are white, but they're also black, yeah. right? So I think it's cool and it's refreshing for you to, to be in an experience where, you know, there are people who are white and you as a black male mm. who kind of like, you know, opened their arms to you and, and kind of gave you a, 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 a positive experience within right. that negative experience. Mm. That's what I want to say. And with, and with um, 
very, very grateful for your health, and um, I'm glad that everybody in that situation was all right. Um, I appreciate it, because yeah. the educated brother <laughs> almost yeah. became too. That's not even funny. I'm bad, y'all. I had to put a... Because it's a new year, I'm trying to... I'm trying to... <laughs> I'm trying to put a new spin to this. Um, I say that to say... No, you can flip right? it. You can flip it. I'm flipping it because, like, our episode to start of the new year. Um, <laughs> we're talking about uh, a black boy, Joy. If you look on Instagram, Twitter, any social media, put hashtag black boy, Joy, um, and just gander upon that, you see millions of pictures and videos and GIFs of... GIFs. Uh, Jeff, excuse me. No, I'm fine. Um, I've never heard it said out loud. <laughs> <laughs> a black man, um, kind of smiling, um, and just the opinion of joy. And I thought that was interesting. I thought we think that was interesting to start the new year, simply because it starts on like highlighting the positivity going on in our lives and 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 in the lives of black men. Yeah. Um, especially. Um, but it, I think it's yeah, go ahead. Because it's interesting. It, it's highlighting the positivity, but. The fact that the joy of black men or joyfulness is, is, you know, what we would hope is a natural embodiment of those who can engage in the meritocratic American dream that we all that we all fully believe in. Right. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, and so hearing the, the fact that black boy joy becomes viral also highlights the absence of such joy right. in the typical experience or the. Misportrayal of yeah. the experience of mm-hmm. black men. Yeah, so you know, let, let's let's take a step back and, and and talk about interrogate like you know where this phenomenon came from, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, most of us hip hop fans, um, Chance the Rapper fans, you know, Black Boy Joy kind of came. You know, it, it didn't come from Chance the Rapper. He didn't start the hashtag or the movement himself, but he kind of sparked it. Um, I think it was at the the Grammys of 2016 VMAs. The, oh, the 2016 VMAs. Mm-hmm. I think you know there was a, a, a video of Chance um, speaking to a, a reporter and Beyonce whispered something in his ear, and he was so geeked out and just so happy. Um, and like a pe- people took like you know they made gifts and videos out of that, and that, that kind of went viral. But even more so, like Chance rapper as a as a person and as an artist, he kind of he kind of embodies something that the the, the average Hip hop artist or rapper doesn't embody necessarily, right? You know, he's always happy. Yeah, and right? I want and I, I, I want to interrogate um, average a little bit too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But like, I think the the description mm-hmm. of a hip hop artist usually isn't aligned to black men expressing their joy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, and I, I just felt like I had to, I had to just yeah. kind of chime in there. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And and rappers have actually like lost their platform by not rapping about what people want to hear, which is oppressive environments and struggle, right? Yeah, super nuance, right? Yeah, yeah. Super nuance, right? So you come you talk about Chance Rapper, dude from Chicago. Um last album, which I think was like probably one I think was the best album of that came out last year or two years ago. Well we in twenty eighteen, y'all. Yeah, it's crazy. Twenty eighteen. Um you know that album was like the epitome of a joyful album. It was a hip hop album that had like church choir singing on it and that had like, you know, praise songs from the church in it. Right. So the, the epitome of that album was like very happy, very spiritual, very joyful. That's not what you hear from your your, your average or traditional hip hop artist, right? And just him, you know, just seeing chance kind of embody and exemplify joy and to see that go viral was kind of like it was interesting to me in a way. I, I definitely welcomed it and I, and I I loved it, but then I, I think it's also important for us to interrogate, like you know, why is this going viral? Mm-hmm. You know, why don't we see Black Boy Joy generally? Mm-hmm. Um, and why is it a hashtag? Like, why why isn't Black Boy Joy just a thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, why has it become a hashtag for us to follow and be like, yo, I'm happy in this picture. Hashtag Black Boy Joy. Yeah, yeah. What I hear you saying is, how come? Why can't the picture just be joy? Right, right. Why, why is like why does black boy need to be like almost like the adjective, the 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 the, the precursor to what joy actually is? Mm. Like, what is it? What does it do? Like, mm. what makes black boy joy joy kind of so special in that yeah. sense? You yeah. know, or like the other hashtag is kind of maybe similar too, like black, black men smile. Oh, that's a hashtag. Right? Black men smile is a hashtag too. So I think it's important always to pay homage to our black women because I think 
I know for a fact that like Black Girl Magic kind of came first. Yes, Black you know? Girl Magic definitely came. Definitely off. came first. Yeah. So always again, mm-hmm. shout out, praise to the Black woman, of mm-hmm. course, and always holding us down. Always holding us down. Um, and it's just interesting that like you know from that, definitely some way, some shape or form, the hashtag Black Men Smile was created. Mm-hmm. And Black Boy Joy was created, you know? Um, so it's, I, I just think that's it's very important to mention kind of where it came from, right? Because yeah. like, you got Chance, mm-hmm. who's a rapper who who's not your, like, your typical, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Or, like, uh, when we think of rappers to be, maybe Chance, Chance maybe five years ago, you don't think of Chance, right, right, you know? Right. And then, so what makes this idea of Black Boy Joy so important? I think, I think you were asking, right, like, why is it even needed? Like, what, what makes it even go viral? Mm-hmm. And I would be, before we hop into that, I would be remiss to um, not give a shout out to the other youth movements that also have ran social media in the past that have been made by our beautiful black and brown youth. I'm talking about the mannequin challenge. I'm talking about the running man challenge, the reverse challenge. One of my favorites that didn't get as much praise as I wish because I thought it was hype, but the... Uh, the jukebox challenge, <laughs> which was a bunch of uh, a bunch of men of color or just like a group of black people walking down the street with a jukebox oh, over yeah. their heads, just blasting music and getting jiggy with it, and like it's just a beautiful thing. And um, it also brings up the question around like co-optation of such movements, um, and when you reach a certain strata, yeah, like. W- when, you know, I'm thinking of the Running Man Challenge in particular. This is, this is a challenge that was created by two um, young brothers in the Bronx, um, and it went viral. You know, sports teams were doing it. Uh, they probably did it on the Ellen. They were on the Ellen Show. Um, and then later on, I saw an airline do the Running Man Challenge in a commercial, mm. right? And the airline profits off that. Once again, profiting off our black. And where is the profit for the two individuals that started it? You know what I mean? Like, having those conversations as well, because I feel like that's a phenomenon synonymous with hip-hop as well, where it's like, we're provided with little resources, we create something beautiful out of it, and then co-opted, because we may not have the financial uh, know-how or stability or whatever it may be, to... I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Schools are closed tomorrow. It's closed? What? To cut you, you know what's real though? I, I feel like part of this podcast should keep that because when educators find out yeah. that there's no school, that's something. Um, I think it's important to like recognize. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, back to you know, just replay that therapy episode tomorrow, y'all. Yeah, you know, yeah, what I mean? yeah. yeah. Uh, we work, we work hard. So you were talking about like appropriation and co-optation. Yeah, right, right, right. It was really, really great. I think we need to tie. Let's like, how do we bring this back to this idea of like, oh, like people profiting off of black but, boy joy. Yeah. But you know, what's what's also important about like the the young people of color who are who are creating all these um social media hashtag um what'd you call them? Movements. Movements, movements. right, exactly. Is that at the pit, like you know, I I argue all these young people are, are part of the hip hop generation, mm. and and the young people who are part of the hip hop generation, all people who are part of the hip hop generation are innovators mm. at our at our core, right? Mm. These are people who have acts who don't have access to the same amount of resources that everybody else has. They have access to limited resources, right? Generally speaking, so quick it, quick, it, quick literacy moment for me, and I know that you work heavily within hip hop education, Ed. Would you say that by being a young black millennial that you are inherently part of the hip-hop generation? Or is it, you know, do you self-identify? I mean, yeah, I think you have to self-identify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, probably 99.8% of people that I've met, um, young black millennials, self-identify as hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Um, because hip-hop is not just a genre of music. It's a lifestyle. It's a culture. Mm-hmm. Right? So even if, even if you're a young person who doesn't listen to hip-hop music, I've been in schools doing hip-hop work with, people, with students. I'm like, yo, I listen to rock. Or, mm-hmm. you know, X, Y, and Z. I'm like, you know, that's cool. But, like, you know, what, what do you, like, what, 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 you know, how are you wearing your clothes? Mm-hmm. What does that person, how does that personify? How do you identify? Mm-hmm. Um, and how you, and how you're um, dressing and, and, and how you're engaging with your peers, et cetera. Right? So they were mistaking hip hop as just the music element. Yeah. I mean, I, I think society just mistakes hip hop as just a genre of music, but you know, we don't see as much, as much more than that, which it actually is. What's the element? We got B-boy, B-boy, B-girl, which is the dancing aspect. You have graffiti, you have the MC, 
Um, you have the DJ and knowledge, knowledge itself. Those mm-hmm. are the five, like, you know, core elements of hip-hop. And, you know, those are just, it's, it's part of a, a lifestyle and a, and a culture that's, that's existed for over 40, almost 50 years now. But when you talk about the innovators and the students who, who create these movements, it's like, yo, it, like, let's say, you know, you don't have a basketball, but you're just hanging out with your friends, but you have a cell phone, you have music on your cell phone, or you have a boombox in the crib. And let's record my man, you know, jukebox with the boombox, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like we're just climbing around. We don't think it's gonna, be, it's gonna come up anything. They put it online. Two days later, it goes viral. Bomb, right? And I think that's like the brilliance of our our generation, of the hip hop generation. Mm-hmm. And we talk about people co-opting, right? People always co-op stuff. Right? The, the Running Man chance was the Running Man chance is probably the quickest one to be co-opted because mm-hmm. yeah. like everybody was doing yeah. it. it was on a, too, right? Yeah, the mannequin challenge. And you know, and it's cool, you know. But like, and I don't, I don't think that people mind that others are engaging in these challenges. But I think what's most important is to, is to pay homage, right? Pay homage mm-hmm. to where it came from. Yeah, and I, I love what you're saying too, because like what I, what I also hear you saying is too the fact that like not only are these things being co-opted or being appropriated, almost in a sense, right? Like, people are profiting yeah. off of Black Boy Joy. Right, right, right. It has become almost a commodity, almost, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And like. We didn't kind of get into right, like how like we we know what it looks like—the mannequin challenge, mm-hmm. the jukebox challenge, mm-hmm. like all of these things that that the innovators, mm-hmm. these young um, black boys and black girls, these black people have created, right? But like, why? Where did it come from, right? What is idea? What what is the idea come? From? Yes, it came from chance, right? But like, why is it so such a thing now, especially too? Mm. We know why. Tell us, yes. yeah, I mean, because because why why are black people happy? Right, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like that, that that's at, like that's in a very raw form. Yeah, but yeah. like you think about when when Black Boy Joy came out, I would say maybe late two thousand, like the fourth quarter of two thousand sixteen, right? You think about the history in our in our country for the last about four or five, not not well, excuse me, not for the last four or five years, but what's been um what's been in the media in terms of like police shootings, okay. mm. um you know the murders of, of innocent black people, right? Like black men, like especially most recently, especially when we talk about our youth who who don't really know who may not be privy to the history that to the, the history of African Americans or people of color in our country, but they still feel the same um, marginalization that that adults feel. People mm-hmm. who are who are well aware of, of the of the history, they see it in the media, um, they see it in, in terms of law enforcement and policing, mm-hmm. right? They see it in New York City in terms of stop and frisk, right. and 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 then when we talk about these things, the black met the black boy, the black man is at the top like he's like the, the first victim mm. right yeah. so it's like if, if as a black man right we, we recognize that black men generally are, are walking around this earth with a lot of baggage just mm. from being black men mm-hmm. right for, so if you walk if, from reliving that trauma having yeah, to slow down timelines and see your brothers knocked down on the street like. right right and so like what do we have to be happy about right mm. in, in that time mm. you know so I think I think that's that's a, another big thing I think another big part of it is we talk about media Mm-hmm. And the, the 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 representation of, of black people, black black people, right? And misrepresentation, right? Yeah, the misrepresentation and, and misrepresentation yeah. of black people, especially mm-hmm. black men, mm-hmm. in the media, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and, and what I hear you also saying too, like Black Boy Joy, is a response or the byproduct of being misrepresented. Absolutely. Right? So it's, 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 I think we, we, we call that, it's, it's, it's the counter, it's up, yeah. counter narrative mm-hmm. of, of the misrepresentation. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to really maybe talk about or tease out how black men are often right. perceived in right. the media, whether it's negative or positive. I think we should mm-hmm. talk about those things too mm-hmm. to really be able to realize why this, this movement is so special and so important. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, whenever we talk about the media, it's always just overwhelming to think about how the media how much power the media has in terms of the representation that it provides of us of of any social category Mm -hmm. of any being um in the sense that in situations where you know we see um you know these situations with police brutality where in the moment the police officer will say that they were scared for their lives right when in the moment the one who got shot the black individual is doing nothing to alarm them. You know, uh, Philando Castile would actually let the police officer know that he was carrying a concealed weapon, and yet the officer still felt threatened, right? And so in situations like that, I think back and 
where else could that officer have internalized notions of blackness other than media representations? Because clearly he hasn't, you know, been around people of color, because if, you know, like, not all people of color, there's complexities amongst, you know, all of us. Um, You know, I think it's like, there's more differentiation between two black individuals, probably between me and you, than you and a white dude, you know what I mean? Um, And so it brings up the question of, like, when, in moments of, and I feel like this is something that's inherent in our human existence, it's like, in moments of life or death situations, like in moments of survival, back to hunter-gatherer days, when they would see, you know, a jaguar, or a saber-toothed tiger, I don't know what type of big cats were around back then, but when they would see this animal, they're not going to stand there and be like, okay, so I see the length of the fangs, I see the color of the fur, okay, that might be, you know what I mean? They're going to run, you know, it's fight or flight, it's, they, and in that moment, they need to categorize the situation, and when, when you are forced to categorize something, you can only pull from the knowledge that you have in that moment. It's not even knowledge, it's actually, fight or flight is like... It's instinct. It's instinct. It's instinct, right? right? So it's like almost... So it's just how you... Like, you see a car coming, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like you're a deer caught in headlights. It's like, do you do you run or do you kind of just like... Right. At mm-hmm. a standstill, right? There was a study done a while ago called the computer crash study, right? Because we're talking about like media representations, but some of the some stuff sometimes too, I think it's our maybe internalized and learned behaviors. Absolutely. Where um, they kind of flashed images of black faces in front of like uh, in front of like people, right? And they found that like people responded like with more hostility mm. and more harshness when black faces were being shown, right? So some of these things, I'm not like somewhere, some somehow people have learned these things from the media, like like mm. you were saying too, mm. that it's almost unconscious that when 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 those fright or flight senses kind of kick in, mm-hmm. your body and mind associates blackness with fear, mm-hmm. which causes the I fear for my life um, situation. You and, know? I would, and I would even go further to argue that those who have existed in a society where they are constantly being affirmed of their beliefs and being surrounded by individuals who, you know, don't necessarily you know, challenge their beliefs and, and their beliefs are, um, allow them to exist successfully within the society are also the ones who in those situations will have the least understanding of the other person. Right. Absolutely. I mean, we talk about the internalization of, of these things, right? <clears throat> Cause even, if, even as a black boy who you, you're going to public, you're going to schools and, and wherever, and you're not really taught how to be critical. You're not taught how to question things, right? Mm. You're just taught to okay, this is the way it is, right? Mm. And then you're exposed to this this media represent the media representation of black people, which is like you know they're very they're angry, you know they're thugs, um, they're violent, and you know you 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 will internalize that, mm-hmm. right? You you will internalize that, and you, you you also talk about like growing up in in tough neighborhoods, right? Where you have to demonstrate that you're tough in order to just survive in your neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. And I was, I, you know, I was telling you guys earlier is that, you know, growing up, I went to school um, in the Kingsbridge section, Kingsbridge section of the Bronx, and I went to a smaller school, and there were about three other, three or four other high schools in that area. So like when you're taking the train and bus in that area of the Bronx in the morning, like the trains are packed, the buses are packed with, with high school students going to school. And in those moments when I was on the train, you know, leaving my house, I would always have to put on an ice grill, right? I had to mean mug mm-hmm. to so nobody would mess with me, mm-hmm. so nobody would try me. Literacy moment. I think it's. I think maybe it's important that we identify like what is an ice grill, right, or what right, is right. a mean mug, an ice I'm grill. Not familiar with such terms. Oh my bad, Boston. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. An ice grill or a mean mug is just like it's a really stale, maybe like an angered face that you just have on mm-hmm. um, throughout. Um, and go to school like that, so nobody would, nobody would try me, nobody would test me, nobody would like would even talk. I don't even want nobody talking to me. Don't want to mm-hmm. look my way. If you look mm-hmm. my way, I'm gonna look you straight in your eye and tell you and, and just show you that you don't want this right, right now, right? And you know, just carrying that, right? You know, just throughout like you know my my younger years, and getting to like maybe a, a space, let's say college, for example, where I didn't have to be mug, mm-hmm. or just not even college, I, and then you know, just probably just. Just thinking about like why am I mean mugging? Is this necessary? Yeah. Do you do you think that you can get to the point where you mean mugs at such a rate that you lose track of the inner happiness? You know, you mean mug so much that 
you, you, your natural demeanor or just who you are becomes. Yeah. You know? Because when you, like, the mean mugging, I think a lot of people just, in the ice girl, it, it, it is a facial expression at its core, but it's also, it's a persona. Right. And it's like, right. I'm ready at any moment. Yeah. You yeah. have to have that persona. Catch these hands. And I think, in, I think and I Absolutely. think also in, 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 in playing this role of mean mugging, ice grill, you shift What's that? That your your internal core, mm-hmm. your 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 actual like you do something long enough. If you keep playing mm-hmm. basketball with your left hand, right, your you core really really good. Your core identity, right. You become really really good at playing ball with your left hand. Mm. If you mean mug for seven eight years, you kind of forget kind of who you are. Yeah. And my mm. question becomes like, well, where did we learn this idea that we need to mean mug mm. in order to? Um, to exist and to survive, mm-hmm. right? So, and for example, because those things, I think, I also think we, we, as black men, as black people, I, I think it's almost inarguably, we have internalized racism in such a way of being that our response to existing society is to put a mask on mm-hmm. and to re- suppress the joy that we experience, mm-hmm. right? To put this facade on, yeah. and think we have to survive that way, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, I think what's what's really dope about like what about these about this time right now in in our and just in, in our in the culture of, of you know just of being black and black bodies. I think we're we're moving to a space like we had that whole the whole therapy episode. We're moving to a space where we're where I think we're recognizing that yo, we're as people of color, we're all carrying around this baggage and this trauma, mm-hmm. right? And the only way to be mentally free. Is to, is to either seek support or just or be super reflective as to like just question why you're doing the things that you do you're doing or why you've done them, mm. right? Like why do like we don't have to exist in these spaces? Like even if you're in the hood, right? Like I, I knew like I, I I will tell you right now, growing up I, I did it for survival, right? But then I wouldn't want my children to have to me mug, you know, for survival. Mm. I, I think I did it for that intention and for that purpose, but I don't think it's a, it was a hundred percent necessary. Mm. Right, I think a lot of it comes from like, okay, you mean because you don't want nobody to mess with you. You don't want to, you don't want to be challenged, but you don't want people to see who you really are, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't want your you don't want your true identity to be shown. Yeah, and I think I think that's that's a, that's a big part. We, we talk about like just like we talk about media representation. We talked about Fifty Cent last time, right? Like the dude who's always walking around with it. Like you know, Fifty Fifty was popping for a lot of different reasons. Like he was a, he was a, he was a spitter, but Fifty was an aggressive, very aggressive rapper. If mm-hmm. you said his name anywhere. He was coming after you, yeah. right? Fifty ended careers, mm. right? And people loved him for that. People right. loved him for just being this bravado, aggressive dude. Mm. Um, in the game, walking around with those G unit white beaters. I know Pat had some growing up, <laughs> um, yeah. and, and, <laughs> and I filled them out too. What's and, up? And, and, and in some ways, and in some ways, right? Like these media portrayals of black men in the media, right? Like Fifty Cent. I remember people wanted these G unit. Uh, these bulletproof vests, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and not to say that all media representations of black men are bad, right, or are negative, right? But like when you only have them performing, right, right, because those those become glorified. Those yeah, types of things, right? right. If they're only performing rap artist and basketball player, mm-hmm. right? Then obviously, I think it's on 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 an easy note. Young black boys grow up thinking that I can only be this. Mm. And that, right? Mm. And I think what that does also, too, I think it also obviously it limits, like, yo, black boy can't be scientist, black boy can't be yeah. doctor. Right, because right. even the TV shows that you actually see, right, psychologically, TV is like a program. It, it, imagine watching TV for three, three, four hours a day. Right. It programs you yeah. in ways of being what you can and what you cannot be. Right, right, right. right. You, you can't be something that you haven't seen. You, you, you haven't seen. Right, hey. right. And I, I think we, we know talking about the, this whole idea of black boy joy or black boy no joy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and why and why that is is you know we you really just got you know we got to interrogate like the history, mm-hmm. um, the culture, um, and really just come to a conclusion which which I think that we're coming to like slowly but surely. And I think just me myself, I just just, just being a, a young man who's like just really recognized that yo a lot of things that I've that I've that I've done growing up or that I'm doing now aren't necessarily necessary um and maybe I'm I'm, I'm carrying around some like some traumatic some baggage I'm yeah. carrying around some this, this trauma but you know for me it's like yo if I recognize this at like at 27 right which is fine no problem with it what can we do to help our young people recognize this earlier right right and I think 
education is so beautiful mm-hmm. because the fact is like when we don't teach kids to think critically about the media they become passive consumers yeah. right mm-hmm. if you grow up Absolutely. if you cannot if you can't look at a tv show and be like mm, i see the patriarchy playing right. out here right, right right i see the fact that all the movie stars in this show are all white and the person playing the service role mm-hmm. as a person of color this thing is trying this this media is a vehicle trying to present something to me mm-hmm. that is not directly kind of true mm-hmm. right because i think we should talk about stereotypes too right because mm-hmm. the stereotypes of black men you know, are off, we, we kind of hit them all the time. This thug, this aggressive X, Y, and Z, and that factors into. But we haven't talked about the stereotype, the impact of the black man stereotype on the actual black man and what they actually do. Because mm. actually does to the person, right? Because mm. research shows like stereotypes, although they may not be true or not, right? They have a really, really, really significant impact on the individual. I think we should really kind of tease out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And and like. You know, when we we talk about stereotype threat, another thing that's coming up is like self-fulfilling prophecies. When we're talking about walking around, me mugging, having to do this for our own survival Mm -hmm. or, or what we see as our own survival, for better or worse... The white teacher may walk into this classroom and see us mean mugging out of survi- out of our own survival and categorize us as what they already expected us to be right. in that thug. And like you see it in a, in a lot of research, like research found that black boys can be seen as responsible for their actions at an age where white boys still benefit from the assumption that children are essentially innocent, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so like these are these are little things where it's like. Um, from our understanding and our um, brilliance in navigating the world and realizing what we need to do to survive, mm-hmm. simultaneously, there is a white community that is um, prioritizing those opportunities and resources that have been denied to us and validating good and the proper student, validating it within that lens of accessibility to these resources. So when they encounter an individual who's mean mugging because he's trying to survive, you know what I mean? They will then turn that into, this is why you can't learn. This is why you're not good enough to be what you want to dream to be. You know, because they're not the quote-unquote model student. Right. Right? You, You think about, like, we talk about boys in schools, right? And in my experience in schools, we do not give black boys an opportunity to grow up. To be children, to be mm. teens. Yes. Mm. They, like, you know, black boys are charged as adults in schools, yeah. right? Mm. Because, you know, I, I, even myself going through schools, you know what I mean? I, I don't think people recognize that, yo, just black boys are a little different. And, and, and different doesn't mean deficient, mm-hmm. right? Mm. D- different doesn't mean bad. Yeah. Different doesn't mean negative. We're just different. And if I don't like to sit in my seat for the entire hour, I don't know why we have hour blocks in the first place. Because mm-hmm. as an adult, I cannot sit in my seat for an hour. It's counterintuitive, right? It's it's like, you know, we recognize and accommodate other students, right? Mm-hmm. Other diverse learners. Mm-hmm. And I argue that black boys are diverse learners too. But I don't think that teachers, administrators, school leaders have taken the time to understand the, the specific needs of black boys within schools, right? Mm. So if a black boy comes into class or if a black boy's pants is sagging, we don't, like, a lot of people don't take the time out to have, like, these critical conversations to change the mind, to, to, to work and in, 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 to be inspiring to that, to that black boy um, or to that boy of color, right? It's more so like, oh, man, your pants are sagging. Um, are, like, what are you doing? You're wearing this color. You're part of a gang. Like, we, we jump to conclusions because... Um, because of these media, like, because of the representation of boys, like, mm-hmm. we don't give opportunities to grow up. And I, I've been in many spaces where I, like, yo, whenever I go to schools, I always gravitate towards like the quote unquote worst student mm-hmm. all the time because that student is because you're the worst teacher. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here! But <clears throat> because you know that that worst student, ninety nine percent of times is just misunderstood. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like for me, it's like I love you know trying to crack that, try to crack that shell, and just try to like you know just talk to somebody and and and, and be like, yo, I'm here, and I could be understanding. Mm-hmm. So like you know what's going on. When when you're talking about this too, you got me thinking um, capoeira. I believe I'm saying that correct, is an Afro-Brazilian kind of martial arts mm-hmm. dance that combines um, acrobatics and music and, right. you know, uh, 
if you've seen it in action, you can YouTube it. You know, you'll see it's it. It can be an individual dance. It's also a like a partner's dance or a group dance mm -hmm. where you know individuals are literally kicking right over their partner's head as the partner's bending over backwards, and it's like a beautiful art. And to those two individuals, there's the common understanding of the elegance and beauty within um, the understanding of such an experience, and they're building together. They're literally building and probably healing in many ways. Um, yeah. But from the outside, individuals would look at that and see a chaotic experience. Yeah. If somebody's doing that on the street, right? It's over. People may call the cops. People may say, hey, stop doing that. You're going to hurt each I other. Mean, worse, you know? To, to bring it back, right? Like, and to make it in a simplest sense, like the dozens, literacy moment, literacy moment, mm -hmm. dozens moments, right? So the dozens, I refer to it as like, you know, people ragging on each other, yeah, joking crack, on each other, cracking jokes, right? right? right, right. And if yep. I'm, many, many of my students all the time, right, like I, I kind of see them like kind of ragging on each other. And I'm like, yo, I recognize that as them showing love. Like mm. to me, students ragging on each other is black boy joy, mm. right? Because you're taking like something that's been used against you uh, to hurt you and turning it into like a joy statement almost, yeah. right? We all grew up yeah. rag, cracking cracking jokes. Like me and my brother and my sister all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. you know, and, and, and the, the beauty of this is that it's part of our culture. And I think but also, too, with the dozens is interesting. The reason why I mention that is because, right, because shooting the dozens or, like, joking on your friend in such a fashion, a teacher may view that as bullying. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And what happens when you cannot recognize what's going on how you would automatically label this. I think bullying is also bullying, obviously, right, in some right, ways. Right, right. But in what ways you don't understand certain things that's going on right. in, in, in the complexities of a relationship between two students and you label it as bullying. Mm -hmm. like, and then discipline them, right. punish them, suspend take them, them out the school. Right. And then they come back and, and you know, and many times they don't even provide a, 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 a rational, mm -hmm. you know, um, explanation for why they the student got in trouble. And from the student's point of view, they don't see the rational explanation either because no. they're just fooling around with their friends. Listen, the, uh, you know, when we talk about black boys in schools, like, like I said before, I don't think schools give, give boys the opportunity to grow up. I don't think schools have taken the time to learn about the, the, the intricacies of mm -hmm. black culture, mm -hmm. right? Because some people are like, oh, black, that's, yeah, I don't have a culture, mm. right? Like, you know, your culture is, is American culture, which is not. Not. Nah. Right? Yeah. And... Like, only, like, really dope teachers who have taken the time, who have maybe even experienced it, can, can, can understand, mm -hmm. right? Even but, something, something like, because even if it's not, like, interpersonal, maybe something along the lines of beating on the table and creating a beat. Yeah. You know, how, how is that not a learning opportunity? Right. right? And, then, and then we don't fit into the mold. We don't fit into these prescribed right. molds as, as the model or role student. And, and then we become, um, we're disciplined for it. Yeah. Right? And then we lose... Um, but we don't like we have negative experiences in schools, and then we leave schools because we're pushed out of schools. Right. I've known, but that, and then we're labeled as being pushed out of schools because we're dumb, and because we didn't want to go to school. Because we didn't want to go to school, right? Yeah. But the the, the the here's a caveat is that the school wasn't a welcoming place for, for boys of color to begin with, and it makes it really makes me wonder, right? How s schools are sometimes like the factory house or this place where they are, they are eradicating joy. I mean, because right? from young, right? Like, we have some of these schools that as soon as these black boys and black girls enter the school system, they're taught to put the put a bubble in your mouth. Mm. Do not uh, talk at lunchtime, right? Uh, put a bubble in your mouth? Put a bubble in your mouth. Yeah, so when I, when I was in the school... Literacy the moment. I'm not, I'm not going to say the, school, the school's name, but when students were transitioning from... From uh, classroom to classroom, they were taught to make a bubble in their mouth, like literally, wow. so, they would not, so they would not talk, That's right? Wild. Or, for example, like on, like again, like at lunchtime, you're not supposed to speak. When's the last time you had dinner with a friend and were, were able to talk? When right? I was uncomfortable. So, at the, <laughs> at the end of the day, on a serious note, right? I say I say this to say, right, that in some ways. Like we need to look at our schools and our teachers and forgot the practices that were you that, that have been used to discipline like our students of color. It, the byproduct simply is is eradicating joy. If, mm. if I can't speak um, during lunchtime or I can't talk in the hallway or I can't call out sometimes, right? In what ways are you kind of like kind of taking away, stripping away my humanity mm -hmm. that? Almost like, are you trying to create just a cog in the system, right? So, and, and I, I kind of wonder, 
we're talking about Black Boy Joy and people that kind of these, these students have created the mannequin challenge right, right? the jukebox challenge right like, are they ever created in the classroom they're mm-hmm. often created outside the classroom right, right? like these, these, these things have gone viral on Ellen right and then the kids numerous opportunities how come they're, they're existing outside the classroom but not inside well, the classroom, because, you know? Because students of color feel more comfortable outside the classroom. Right. Like That question was rhetorical. <laughs> rhetorical. You know, it's rhetorical for us, not for everybody. Right. Yeah, right, right, right. right. But, but, you know, it, it, and, and this is just the crux. And this and well, everything that Mark just explained is why the hashtag Black Boy Joy is so significant, right? It, it, the, the hashtag Black Boy Joy and the images that we get from it are, are empowering images. They're, they're images for a counter-narrative counter that say, like, yo... It's okay to be happy, and we're going to show the world that we're happy because the world views us as people who are violent, mm-hmm. who are dangerous, who are aggressive, um, and they don't view us as people who are just happy, who are just like chilling or docile, right? You can't mm-hmm. be a, like how many times do you see a black nerd, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or not even a nerd, right? Because even nerd has a negative connotation towards it, but like just a, a brilliant black kid. Mm-hmm. Us. On, on TV, yeah, right, yeah, right, right. And, and that's why you my know my wife and kids. What was the uh, the, the, the piano the player? Piano play? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, then, but, the, but but here, she was being a mockery. I, 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 I don't want to go on a tangent because I have my thing about black, about black about black male characters in, in media. Right, right. Or even if they're if they're even if they're portrayed as as smart or brilliant, they're corny. See, Rico, mm. you can't be smart and cool at the same time. Right. And in order to really get through our kids in schools. We have to. There has to be a parallel between smart and cool. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's why this hip hop work is so dope. Noah Gray Cabby is his name. Just shout out to you, bro. You, you, you a brilliant black nerd. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm so is, is there a way? Is there a way? Right. So we, we recognize that Black Boy Joy is obviously this amazing thing, and I, and I kind of challenge us to even like you know maybe reflect on that in the future as well too. But is there a way to even foster as educators or as um, in our own lives? Like how, is, is that something that can, that can be fostered, this idea of black boy joy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it takes it's the way it can be fostered is, is a way of just like understanding black black boys or black students in the classroom. Right. Read. Right. Like yeah. what? What can I, as an educator, what can I do for you to make you feel more comfortable in this space? Mm-hmm. As an educator, what can I do to better understand what you're going through as you walk through these hallways, as you walk to school, right? We need to take the time to really take a step back and really, truly understand the authentic realities of our students if mm-hmm. we're going to, if we're going to, if we want to engage them, mm-hmm. right? The curriculums that we use and impose on our students are not effective, mm-hmm. Right. And they're, detri- they're detrimental to their to their success, right? Mm-hmm. And then we know when our students fail, you know, with these um, standard exams that weren't meant for them in the first place, we blame them. We blame them all together, right? Mm-hmm. The school, the you know, and hearing that, it's also as the teacher, the understanding that everybody in the classroom is on this journey together, right. and realizing that prioritizing, or you know, there's obviously content knowledge that students need to know when they enter the classroom and when they leave, they need to know these certain things about, you know, factoring and, and quadrilaterals. No. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, what was that? Quadratic equations? Yeah, and that Pat didn't get us. <laughs> I skipped that. Uh, and, you know, by... By having this, uh, you know, we talk about the deficiency lens, where it's like by having this approach in the classroom where I am the the holder of knowledge and I need to fill your heads with my knowledge, you're missing the opportunity to understand what rashing between two students means for those two students and how to leverage that into the into the, uh, you know, curriculum, into the ways in which you engage in the classroom. Obviously, probably not rashing the students, but, you know, having conversations around it and, and allowing students to feel comfortable, like, doing it and feeling like they won't be judged or doing it and feeling like they can talk about it authentically. Um, I think that's huge. And then also taking a kind of macro step back, there is the importance of being transparent with them and letting them know that their situation, whatever their situation may be, does not define them. Absolutely. These tests do not define them. We exist in a certain um, environment and a certain uh, setting where, you know, we were literally born into some of these things. Right. And it's not a matter of like, you know, we were doing a professional development and anti-bias, anti-racism training, and one of the teachers was bringing up that she tried to bring up race and racism into her classroom. And 
the response that she got from her white student was that was white guilt that the student was like I feel like it's all my fault and that I'm being blamed for all of this stuff right. and she was asking what is a strategy to do for that yeah. and I feel like a strategy for all students and all teachers is to premise with the understanding that none of this was caused by you what we have the opportunity to do now is make a decision on how we then respond to it because complacency in the face of benefiting off of a racist society that you're at fault for right like once you become aware of these inequalities and you still are complacent that is a different conversation but once you are like the initial point when it's brought up having that conversation around like look this is really messed up right. this is where we're living and it does not define us. We need to we need to define it. Yeah. I think that in recognizing like original question, this idea of how do we foster black boy joy, what I hear is saying that you gotta first understand the landscape in which it exists, mm -hmm. right? This idea of the representation. And I'm a, I'm a only I'm gonna offer up like I'm, I'm, reading is achieving, mm -hmm. right? So I feel like books like Why Are All the um, Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria yeah. by Beverly Daniel Tatum is a good read. Between the World and Me was a great read a couple years ago. Stands from Coates. the beginning. Um, right, Stands from the beginning. Um, and of course, I gotta give a shout out too for white folks who teach in the hood and the rest of y'all too. Who wrote that? Uh, by Christopher Emden <laughs> um, as well. I think these, I think reading um, about the landscape kind of gives you um, a foot in the door and begin to understand. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, of what it means before you understand what black boy joy actually is how to foster it too I think you gotta understand black or white people of color no matter how you identify understand how you play into the system first mm. um, and I think by recognizing the landscape then you can recognize the beauty of black boy joy and how to um and black girl magic and how to foster those things as well mm -hmm. um, and hearing that too coupling all of that once you're at that stage what I find can be the debilitating factor is then having this knowledge and being faced with the uh, blunt frustration of having nobody else around you who is also, you know, aware of this. And, you know, I, I see it frequently with friends that I have because I only surround myself with real individuals, uh, f friends who I have that are white that may go home to families, like especially coming off this holiday Ooh. season, who have not chosen to engage in these conversations and, and, and diving into like internal yeah. biases and the frustration and the almost like helplessness that comes from not being able to, you know, because then they're faced with, do I have to teach everybody? Yeah. And how do I even bring this up when we were born in the same family and right. we experience, you know what I mean? So it coupled with everything that you just said is the importance of then making sure that you have at least a community around you where you can have conversations that go beyond what you learned. Because if you're learning this and then you have to just constantly teach, 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 you're spreading yourself thin. We're trying to stack. And to my teachers already thinking about this work, like you're already taking that first step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I kind of want to like, I think this is a, is a perfect place to end um, the conversation when it comes to uh, Black Boy Joy. And now it's time for our footnotes. <laughs> <laughs> so for my footnote, I, I heard this the other day, um, and it just really stuck with me. I was having a conversation, and an individual mentioned that we're in this work to put ourselves out of business. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like education, uh, the type of work that we're doing, culturally responsive education, anti-bias training, um, you know, defending Black Boy Joy, these are things where... It's the foundation of our work, but it should not be an issue that is existing. You know, why is joy attached to blackness and, and questioned in that, in that light? Why are um, these social inequalities existing? And the, there are jobs that are created because of these inequalities, but we are in these positions to put ourselves out of work. And it's a weird situation because, you know, if we're fighting for equitable access to education for all students, if we reach that, we're out of a job, yeah. you know, yeah. and we have to be comfortable with that and, and, and realize because there are individuals who will continue to perpetuate the problem or just churn out policies that they know will not work in light of saving their position. My footnote, I want to say a couple of things. I know earlier Mark just said, you know, 
you know, if, if you're educated and you're and you're reaching this 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 level of the work and you're realizing that you know you need to do that you there's some work to do on your part, that that that's the first step, and I agree. But we're, we know we're in 2018, and we need to see, we need to see some we need to see some action. Mm. You know, I think this is a year of action, and um, you know, I don't I don't want to see many bystanders just standing aside like oh like you know I, I'm just trying to figure things out. You know, figure it out, try, ask, and, and and let's try to push. You know, let's try to push this a little further so that we can be as and more impactful for for our students, especially for our black boys in school. And I I, I just want to shout out. Some people who have exemplified Black Boy Joy. Actually, all the Black boys who have exemplified Black Boy Joy. But we got Chance. Uh huh. We got Steph Curry, always doing the cha cha. The but you know, at, on the sideline of the game, Cam Newton, mm. Charles Gambino. Um, You're just, scaring them. You're scaring them, bro. Too much. Too much. But you know, we out here. And um, my footnote. I want to just uh, quote from Chance's blessings on, on the coloring book. Um, it says, found warmth in a black queen for when I get cold like Nat King. I'm doing the dad thing. I speak of wondrous, unfamiliar lessons from childhood. Make you remember how to smile good. Um, and I think I end that with saying, like, it's important to just as black men or as black people of color to remember in the face of adversity um, and pain and violence. After I almost died in this car accident, I'm trying to still smile. Um... And I'm going to end it there. All I hear is the Jay-Z shit. Smile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's a good one. Are we tuning out. And with that, we end our first episode of the new year of the <laughs> Three Educated Brothers podcast. So pretty. So we hope and sincerely that you keep uh, tuning in. Remember, add us on the gram. That's three, the number three. Educated Brothers, A-S at the end. Um, follow us on Facebook, the gram, hit us up in the email, info at threeeducatedbrothers.com. Again, that's the number three and AS at the end. Um, we love the support um, and keep vibing with us. Let's build, y'all. Yo. Yo.